Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Today, Pastor Jim is teaching more than just a Bible lesson. So if you've enjoyed English and grammar growing up, then get your notepad ready as he explains a few specific uses of language from the Psalms. After English class and a short quiz, you will find a deeper meaning in today's message as he explains how God answers prayer. See, the references to the birth of Jesus are clear to us now, but they were almost 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus at the time. How far into the future can you see? Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms, chapter 72, as he continues his message, Praying for New Leadership. Have any of you heard that some of our politicians get bribed? Can any of you ever, have any heard that there's an announcement about something like a, oh, let's just say a pandemic coming? And then they short the stocks of certain companies or they dump all their stock holdings. Have you ever heard of such things? You're all a bunch of conspiracy theorists. <laughs> See, the way we judge a leader or a president is by results. You know the classic, are you better than you were doing four years ago? I mean, that's the big thing. But that's not the way God makes his judgments. God judges faithfulness or success very differently than we do. And what he's showing us here today, and please, if you're not in a great place right now, I please want you to see this. He is showing us a different world. He's painting for us for a world that we definitely do not live in. This is a vision of a new world, a world that is really worth living in. I'm not saying that our world is not worth living in, but what he's saying is this world is but a shadow of what really is to come. This is similar to the world spoken of by Jesus in Luke 4, 16 to 21, when he's quoting prophecies from Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born. This does not mean that Jesus came into the world as a social reformer, rather a king who brings righteousness. For the most part, righteousness refers to living in a right relationship with a righteous God. You might say it has to do with having the approval of God, but the Bible teaches you can only get that kind of righteousness through Jesus Christ. He has to give it to you. On the cross, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sin goes upon Jesus and your, his righteousness goes upon you. It's what we call justification by faith. It means to be pronounced righteous, which is a gift of God. You didn't do anything for it. Jesus did it all. And part of being a new creation in Christ, that's what happens when you believe in Jesus, part of it is being just to people. What does it mean to be just? It means to be essentially to be morally right and fair. God wants us to be morally right and fair to people. Well, that's number one. Number two, praying for an eternal leader an eternal leader, verse 5. They shall, some versions say, may they, fear you. For some people, it's fear. I guess when we talk with people about the fear of God, they get all kind of you know, turned inside out. You might even just want to say, respect you. Would you say that people respect our politicians? No, no. 
We might be afraid of what they're going to do, right? (laughs) But we don't fear them. He says, they shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. Verse 6, he shall come down, or another version says, may the king be like the rain upon the grass before mowing. Some of you are going to say, on the cut grass, but here's the point, like showers that water the earth. Again, you might want to circle that in your Bible. That's the point there, that showers that water the earth. Verse 7, kind of a summary verse, in his days... The righteous shall flourish, and the abundance of peace or the well-being of people until the moon is no more. What is he saying? It will be like this forever. The psalmist begins, verse 5, may this king endure forever. Obviously, that goes beyond any human king. Now, some people would say, well, he might be talking about eternal life, and some of the, you know, most of the kings, if you read First and Second Kings, it's not such a great crowd that followed King David and King Solomon, but some of them will show up in heaven for sure. But it says in verse 6, he shall come down. Earthly rulers don't come down, do they? They might go up, they might go to live with the Lord, but they don't come down, and nor will they be the sovereign ruler in all eternity. Clearly, these verses can only be fulfilled by and point to the risen, ascended, and returning king, the Lord Jesus Christ. God told this to King David in 2 Samuel 7.13, Old Testament, thousand years before Jesus is born. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, forever. Revelation 15 says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We sing that, don't we? He shall reign forever and ever. So the psalmist says of King Jesus, he shall come down. He shall come down. How shall he come down? Think of it this way, like refreshing rain. Refreshing rain. In the last service, it was a lot easier. It was pouring, and I said, oh, God, keep the rain coming through the ceiling (laughs) and bring down the refreshing rain on all of us. Maybe it'll rain before the service ends. We can only pray, right? And so, so he brings down the refreshing rain, and what does refreshing rain do? It makes things grow. We don't like rain so much. But in their culture, rain, it was an agricultural culture, rain was considered a divine blessing from the Lord. You could imagine even like a guy who didn't believe in God at all looking out at his dry crop field that he spent all of his seed money from the last crop on and the thing's not growing and all of a sudden he becomes a man of prayer. Oh God, we need some rain. And so it would be considered divine blessing. The idea is an abundance of crops, an abundance of food, of blessing because of the supply of water that King Jesus has provided. Now, let's look at the opposite. Psalm 28.3 says in the Christian Standard Bible, a destitute leader or a fake leader who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no food. See, it can rain too much, can it? So much that it would destroy the field. But Jesus knows the the right amount of rain for it to be refreshing upon all of us. Number three, 
We're praying for a, a worldwide leader, a worldwide leader. In verse 8, he says, he shall have dominion also. Again, some say, may he rule. It's the, he's anticipating this happening, right? From sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, King Solomon had a very financially prosperous reign, most prosperous of all the kings, but nothing like this, not from one end of the earth to the other. Okay, verse 9, those who dwell in the wilderness, some versions say the desert tribes, will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. There's another term I like, <laughs> right? God's enemies are like, yeah, you're going to lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles or the islands or the coasts will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Now, the queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, and the magi came to baby Jesus. Could be references to that. Verse 11, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So he says, when the, this king returns, when this king comes, he will reign over the entire earth, and his enemies will lick the dust. Now, what does that refer to? Basically, it refers to shame and fear. What will they realize? They were on the wrong side of Jesus. Like, they made fun of him. They didn't care about him. They didn't want to give him the time of day, and they're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, that we're going to have to do this. The world leaders will bring gifts to the king, they will bow down before him. And what does that show us? That this king is a conquering king. He came the first time as the humble servant. He will come the second time as a conquering king. Now, if Jesus were a total tyrant, that would be very bad news for everybody, wouldn't it? But it's not for a follower of Jesus. But since Jesus will come and crush his oppressors, crush the oppressors. This is good news for a follower of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says something very, very important as we tie it to this psalm. Jesus said this, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. I want to say this to my dear unbelieving friend that may be with us, maybe another place in the building, maybe listening online or listening on the radio. I say this with every fiber of my being. You do not want to be on the wrong side of this one. You can make a lot of bad decisions in your life, but this is one you've got to get right. Jesus said, okay, if you are not with me, you are against me. There is no neutrality. You're either with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. And this is what's also very important to understand. I know it's not very American, but it's the truth. You come, I come, we all come to Jesus on his terms, not ours. He sets the terms. Jesus said, repent and believe. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we repent, we return to God, and we say, Lord, I turn from my sin to you. I'm going to need help with my sin, but I come to you, and I believe. I put my trust in Jesus instead of myself. Those are the terms. If you don't agree to the terms, you are classified as being against Jesus. But if you do, 
King Jesus is your king. And please, I'm asking you right now, in the time we have left, don't just sit here in church, okay? Don't just sit here in church, did my church thing, I'm here, whatever. Please, please, please catch the great vision God wants you to have for what is to come. Catch that vision of when he returns. It says right here, all nations shall serve him. All nations. No longer will we walk into a voting booth or mail-in ballot. No longer will we walk into a voting booth and vote for who we think is the best candidate or for a lot of us more accurately, vote against who we think is the worst candidate. There will be no more dictators. Some of you come from countries where there were dictators. There will be no more dictators. Followers of Jesus will get the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. While we're calling this a, a prayer, it's also a prophecy of a king so far greater than all of the kings of Israel. So far greater than any leader who has ever walked the face of this earth. That takes us to number four. We're praying for a delivering leader. Similar to verses two through four, in verses eight through 11, it extends it beyond the Jewish people to the Gentile people, to all the rest of the people of the world. The Jewish people basically divided the world into two people back then. It was the Jews and it was the Gentiles. And you think, well, that's nice, right? But they considered the Gentiles to be the kindling wood for the fires of hell. Nice, huh? Just imagine that. Oh, you're a Gentile. Really? You're going to be wood in the fires of hell. I would be like, so how do I become a Jew? <laughs> but Jesus goes beyond it. Verse 12. For, remember that word a lot of times in the Bible means because... And this is the reason why we serve him. He will deliver the needy when he cries. That's why we are to cry out to Jesus or call upon his name. The poor also and him who has no helper, because Jesus is our helper, verse 13, he will spare, some versions say have compassion on, some versions say have pity on, the poor and the needy, he will save. This is a little... I'm finding as I talk with people, interesting, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, just yesterday, and we were talking about his uncle who had become a follower of Jesus, and he goes, the guy went from being like the worst guy on the planet to totally changed. And I said to him, you know what happened to him? And he said, what? And he goes, well, he always tells me he got saved. I don't know what he's talking about. I said, God rescued him from who he was. He goes, yeah. That makes sense. So I find the word rescue with a lot of people who don't understand what saved means to be a little bit more of an effective word. That's one reason why some people say to me, why don't you preach out of the King James Version? I read the King James Version. I have nothing against the King James Version, okay? But the words are, have different meanings now. Words change meaning over time, right? Now, I think it's safe to say in this service, because there was one guy who answered yes in the last service, do any of you speak Elizabethan English? <laughs> no, okay? So unless you understand Elizabethan English, it's not really going to help you. 
Now, some of you lie to people. You're, you say you're an English teacher. You're not. You're an American teacher. <laughs> Whenever you talk to a Brit, they go, we speak English. You speak American. Okay, so words, they, they change. All right, so I just find save a little bit easier. It says, so he will have compassion or pity on the poor and the needy, and he will save or rescue the souls or the lives of the needy. Well, when it comes to needing God, who's that? That's everybody. So he's talking about everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. Verse 14, he will redeem or rescue their life from the oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. So God loves his people. And he considers their lives, and that's what he's talking about with the blood, he considers their lives to be very precious in his sight. And when you read the Bible, you really get the feeling that God has very strong feelings on life. And, and life is only taken under certain instances. He's got very, very strong opinions on that. And so... Even when somebody dies who just was just not a nice person, this part of us, I hope, that is like, well, you know, it's really a shame. They were created in the image of God, and yet they never realized their full redemptive potential. They never got there. So here we see that Jesus is a king for what the psalmist said in verse 11 is, all the nations, and when Jesus Christ comes, it will be to rescue his people. When Jesus sees the, the needy and the poor, when Jesus sees thirsty souls, he will rescue. Why? Because he is a God of compassion. That's why the Bible says, those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because when he senses that heart of neediness, he's so full of compassion. It's like, he's like, I just can't say no to this one. Now, many versions use the word pity, a word that a lot of us don't like. We consider it insulting. We're like, I don't need their pity, right? I don't know about you, I need God's pity, right? But they say, I don't need their pity. But in the Bible, the word pity really means by you will feel compassion for what someone is troubled by. Maybe their circumstances. So basically the Lord's saying, I will have compassion on people's circumstances, and though Psalm 72 could be associated with King Solomon, to me, it feels like at this point, we have just totally left King Solomon right now. I mean, he was tough. He built his wealth on the backs of the people. They told his son, hey, unless you, you know, stop acting like your father, we're not going to follow you. And he just increased the burden, and it resulted in a civil war, and the nation split. Psalm 72 appears to be going out of its way to say how God is pleased with the care for the afflicted and the suffering. And we see this all over the first coming of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus constantly helping the hurting and healing the sick. You know, we talk about great leadership traits. There's all kinds of books on leaderships. Go on Amazon and Google leadership books, and oh my goodness, they're all over the place. But in Jesus, I think we see maybe the greatest leadership quality, and certainly the amount of people that follow him would bear this out, and the amount of religions that borrow from him bears it out. Perhaps his greatest trait as a leader was being 
other-centered. Jesus was an other-centered person. And sadly, that's becoming a rare trait in people. It's becoming very rare. Verse that we read around here a lot, if you're new, I want to make sure that we, you understand this. It says this, Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what's a ransom? Ransom is what you pay for a prisoner. Somebody kidnaps someone, and the kidnappers call on and go, hello. Well, they always describe their voices, right? Uh, you know, drop $5 million at the bus depot, right? <laughs> and so Jesus paid the ransom. And many times I have said to the people here, and it's so important that you understand this as a follower of Jesus, until you see Jesus serving you on the cross, serving you on the cross, you will never really truly be a servant of Jesus. You will never really truly be a servant of the kingdom of God and of this world. I mean, think about it. It's absolutely incredible. God becomes a man, and he lives in a podunk poor town called Nazareth. What does that tell us? Anybody can come in. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. Anybody's welcome in. And they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. And the humility is absolutely amazing. He's out there doing miracles. He's out there sending the religious leaders tail tucked as they're trying to outsmart him theologically. He sends them home, and they're like, oh my gosh, how did, how's your day today, honey? Oh, let's talk to Jesus. Oh, is there any wine in the house? <laughs> I mean, it's just, a, just a bad, bad thing. And yet, right, all that he did, he does not demand people's respect and honor when he was here. He simply says to them, this is what the kingdom is like. This is where I have come from. This is what I'm going to do for you. And people either say, you know what? I will follow this guy with everything I have for the rest of my life. Or they just walk away. And they're like, oh, well, too much, too much. And then what does he do? He lets us kill him on a cross. Now, I know some of you are like, I wasn't there. It wasn't me. I would have objected. Oh, sure you would have. <laughs> sure. Nobody else did. Nobody else did. They're afraid the Romans would have been like, hey, well, we'll string you up too. <laughs> no problem. Bring some more wood. Come on. Not a problem for those guys. But why would Jesus do all that? Well, he just told us because he came to serve. And that's why, motivated by grace, true followers of Jesus serve the kingdom of God, serve Jesus, and serve the world. He particularly served people who couldn't give him anything. There was nothing they could do in return. One time I was up at Starbucks at the mall. I met this guy there and just you know, did a conversation, told him I was a pastor. And he said, I do have a question for you. I said, that's fine. Love to answer it for you. So as I go to sit down, he goes, how much do you charge? I go, how much do I charge? And he goes, yeah, there's another pastor that, that sits, comes here at this Starbucks and he'll, he charges by the hour to talk to him. I said, who pays for the coffee? <laughs> 
I said, I'm not going to charge you anything. Well, that guy has since been outed. He got, uh, he's figured out what was going on. He's not in the ministry anymore. Not one of our guys. He's still been outed if he was one of our guys. But it's just like, what are you kidding me? Jesus did stuff for people who couldn't, who couldn't give him anything. Not the lazy. Let's distinguish that. The needy. Not the lazy, the needy. In our world, the rich and famous, they seem to catch a break, don't they? They say, oh, that's a felony. Charge him with a misdemeanor. Right? Oh, that's a misdemeanor. Give him a parking ticket. Oh, that's a parking ticket. We'll just rip it up. I mean, they don't do any of that stuff. They get off on everything, but not in the next world. Not unless they have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. But the humble and the hurting, Jesus values their lives. It's amazing. The psalmist calls it their blood. And for those people, they can understand that the violence will end. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.